Last week we looked at uh, Herod and we noticed that uh, even as paranoid and as masochist as he was, he still was a man caught driving between two ditches. In charge of him was the Roman Empire, and that was all the way back in Rome, so he had to report to them. But also he had the locals, the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees, and he had to try to please them. So he's walking this balance of trying to do both, and even though he was a powerful man and he was a wealthy man, even he had to walk between the two powers. Well, we see that uh, we understood a little bit of what he did and why we did it. We don't excuse it, but we may understand a little bit of why that was the case, and that's where we looked at last week. Matter of fact, last week we looked at uh, Joseph. Joseph was a man that submitted to Rome in order to pay his taxes. He had to travel all the way to Bethlehem with a pregnant wife. He submitted and paid his taxes, and he also submitted to the Rome or the uh, the Jewish church is at eight, year old, eight days old, he took his son to get circumcised and they made the sin offering that was required. But as soon as he found out that uh, his son was in danger, he fled to Egypt. So there's a balance there. He had submitted to, to, to the Jews, he submitted to Rome, but only so far when it came to life, he left and went to Egypt. Well, today we're going to look at uh, a couple other characters in the Bible like John the Baptist, but also we want to focus mostly on Jesus. How do we walk that tightrope that we live? The first man I would like to look at is uh, John the Baptist. I want to show you something, the way he preached. This is all recorded here in Luke 3. Now I'm going to go pretty quickly through this because I really want to spend my time looking at Jesus and the warnings he gave society at the time of his life. So I look at John the Baptist and John the Baptist was what I would call an equal opportunity offender. He preached to everybody. In Luke 3.11, he preached to the masses, and he says, In part what you work so hard for to the needy. If you have two coats, give one to the poor. In Luke 13.3, he talked to the publicans, and he says, Collect the taxes owed and no more. So those would have been Herodians. In Luke 3, verse 14, he talked to the soldiers. He says, Do not bully or blackmail. Now, there were Jewish soldiers, but there were also Roman soldiers, so he went after soldiers. And then finally, in Luke 3 and verse 19, he actually went after Herod, and he says, your marriage is an adulterous one. You're, you're in the wrong. So John the Baptist did not have a hard time of holding God's truth up. And I'll tell you what, holding God's truth up doesn't make you a very popular person. It doesn't make you popular with the masses. It doesn't make you popular with the religious establishment. It doesn't make you popular with anyone that's doing those sins. But he preached it anyway. So what do we do? Do we get on our self-righteous horse and we, 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 we tell everybody? No, we don't do that. But we guess there's, there's certain times we, we don't back down. We walk in the flesh, but we war in the spirit. You walk in the flesh, but you war in the spirit. We tend to walk in the spirit and war in the flesh. Don't we? That's, that, that's me anyway. So let's look at a couple examples of this. And Rome gave three ultimatums. One ultimatum was pay your taxes. The second ultimatum was supply our soldiers. And the third ultimatum was respect the leaders, respect authority. That's it. And if you did those three things, basically Rome backed away and gave you a pretty loose, a pretty, gave you a long leash. 
They said you can have your own economy, you can have your own currency, you can worship your own religion, you can have your own custom, you can even have your local rulers. But as soon as you started pushing back on those things, Rome was going to bear down on them. And I find it interesting that Jesus taught to do all three things. Now, that's not what you're going to find on social media. There's a time to push back, and there's a time not to push back. And these three things are things that you don't push back. So in Matthew 17, 24 through 27, basically Jesus said, pay your taxes. In Matthew 5, 41, he said, supply your soldiers. Now, I don't know if you, you knew this when it says, if someone bid you to go a mile, you go two miles. Back at the time of Rome, what the policy was is Rome had a law that if a soldier came and he had a shield and his armor and his equipment and all his clothes and all that kind of stuff, and he was walking along and he just grabbed Emery on the street, Emery, come here, carry my stuff for a mile. Roman law said you had to carry it for a mile. And our flesh was, oh no. But Jesus said, not only carry it a mile, carry it two miles. He said, supply the soldiers. And then Mark chapter 12 and verse 17, he respect the leaders. If you'll notice at the end of that passage, it says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. It was talking about a coin, but a couple verses later, he says, render honor to them that are in authority. Jesus was a submissive person. Sometimes. There's times where he said no. But in these things, he said, Submit. Jesus ministered to those with authority. I want you to notice it didn't matter if it was a Herodian, if it was a Roman, if it was a religious leader. He ministered to all people. Right here in uh, Matthew 8, 5 through 11, there was a Roman centurion. And when he was working with him, he says, I have, found, I have not found so great faith all in Israel. He said, this Roman soldier, yeah, about a captain. His captain, he said, Jesus ministered to him. He blessed him and he asked, took care of the need. In Luke 15, 1 and 2, he was found eating and ministering to publicans. Publicans were basically the Herodians who collected the taxes and then passed it on to Rome. And then in Mark 5, 35 and 36, there was a ruler of the synagogue that came up to Jesus and he says, don't be afraid, only believe. So Jesus, we, we might think of John being an equal opportunity offender. Well, Jesus was an equal opportunity minister. And that's what we ought to be too. I want you to show you something, though. I'm going to use Daniel for a second because there's a lot of folks in Scripture that were put in compromising situations. There were situations where the government that was at hand said, do something, and sometimes Daniel said, okay, and then sometimes Daniel said, nope, can't do that. What made the difference? Well, here's one account here, and this is in the first one. This is Daniel 1, 12, and 13, and I don't know if you remember, but... What happened was is um, the Babylonians came in and they kidnapped all the young, the brainiacs, uh, all the people that were well-favored. They, they scooped them up and they took them all the way back to home and to Babylon. And they basically, they put them in a college dormitory and they had the cafeteria down below and they had to eat the provisions. And along comes Daniel's three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they said, we can't eat that stuff. And the fellow that was the RA, now you're thinking I'm real silly, he was the eunuch in charge of him, but he was like the resident assistant, the hall monitor. 
And he said to these three men, if you don't eat this stuff and you get sick, they're going to kill me. And this is what the three did. This is all recorded in Daniel 1, 12 and 13. They said, listen, 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 this is what we'll do. Please let us eat our pulse. And if after 10 days we look haggard, then we'll eat your stuff. R.A. said, okay, let's do it. And we know that story. At the end of 10 days, they were healthier than the ones that were eating all the food. Basically, all the frat stuff. They just left it alone. Jesus submitted, but there were limits. Okay, let's, let's look at a couple things. He was also an equal opportunity offender in some things. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus challenged authority with acts of mercy and compassion. Now, this is where he's going to ruffle the feathers of the Jewish elite. And in Mark 2, 23 through 26, Jesus' disciple ate hand to mouth, hand to mouth and the Pharisees and the scribes and the oh, they were so upset at that. How on earth can you work on the Sabbath? And in Mark 3, 2 through 6, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And on Mark 1, 21 through 27, he cast out devils on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were, they were just so put out. How can you work? Well, the funny thing is, is the definition of work is to put forth effort for gain. And basically he said, listen, you go into the stall and you feed your ox. And you go into a ditch and you'll pull your ox out of there. And you'll work on a cow if it gets in trouble, but you won't work on a person? That's, that, 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 that's silly. So when Jesus came to compassion, when it came to life, Jesus put life above those things. Besides, I don't think it's the definition of work. Eating hand to mouth is not work. Planning and trying to get a crop for later on so you can get income, that's work. But walking by and grabbing at your corn and eating as you walk, that is not work, especially when you're faint. Jesus resisted corrupt authority. He resisted corrupt authority. In John 2, 14, he poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. He even made a scourge and whipped them and tossed them out on their behinds. Mark 8, 15, he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians. He got both groups for that one. And in Matthew 23, 14, he said, Ye hypocrites, ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make a long prayer. You're just nothing but a big old showboat. It's just cotton candy. And he says he got upset at that. Well, all of a sudden, Jesus is not so submissive anymore, is he? Well, there's a line. And we've got to figure out where that line is for us, where that line is in Scripture. So he submitted where he could, and there's places where he just couldn't do it anymore. Jesus answered yes or no questions with yeses and nos. When someone asks you a direct question, he answered it yes and no. But they're not going to like my answer. They asked the question. It's up to you to answer yes or no. But don't deny your faith. And Jesus never did. That'll ruffle people. People get mad. That's okay. That's okay. They asked the question. It'd be different if you're jamming your doctrine down their throat. But when they ask you, give them a straight answer. Let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. Let's go back to Daniel. Do you remember that uh, Nebuchadnezzar made a great big old statue? And he says, everybody that walks by that statue, you need to bow down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went by and they said, 
Sorry, King. Can't do it. Won't do it. Matter of fact, he says, we got our God, and he might deliver us, and he might not deliver us, but we trust in him rather than you. So he disobeyed government. There was a line there, and that line for them was idolatry. I will not worship a chunk of stone. I will not bow down to a chunk of stone. I will not sacrifice to a chunk of stone. I will not pray to a chunk of stone. Will not do it. So they drew their line. And there's a place where we all need to draw our lines. Jews were subject to judgment like all nations. I want to spend a good deal of time here. We can go back through time and we can go to the very beginning where Noah was. And what happened in the days of Noah? God said, I had enough with your evilness. I'm going to destroy you all. If you were on the end of that and knew destruction was coming, would you want to know? I'm hoping in your spiritual state you are. You said, yeah, I want to know if the consequences of this behavior is dangerous. Amen? Well, if he told you to tell someone that destruction is coming, would you tell them? Do you love them enough to tell them? I know, but they won't like it. Do you love them enough to tell them? I want you to look at how many times Jesus told people that were living a lifestyle that was destructive, and he told them, and people don't want to hear it. I wrote this down. Okay, it's, it's coming later. There's three questions Satan is going to use every single time to try to put doubt in your mind from telling someone or from the person you're telling. Number one, is God real? So if you're dealing with someone and they say, amen, sister, is God real? That's the first phase. And maybe you come across someone that, yeah, 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 I believe God's real. And then you ask the question, is God right? Well, I believe that God's right, but I think he got a few things wrong. I know, I like the face you just made, Sister Molly. Doesn't that sound? And then, well, I, I know God really doesn't approve it. The third question is, does it really matter? Does it really matter? And if he can get you on any one of those three, He's got you. So we share. And I'll get into that a little bit later. Let's look at a couple examples. The first one is in Matthew 3 and verse 12. Actually, I'm going to go there. I want to read this one. Matthew 3 and verse 12. And here's a judgment that's coming. And this is coming to the nation. If you go up to verse 7, it says, But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees, he's talking about the Jewish church. He's talking about the church at large. He's talking about the local church. He's talking to Mount Olive Church. And this is what he says. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat in the garner, but he will burn up the chafe with unquenchable fire. Who's that? Jesus. No, no, Jesus is all love and huggy and warm. There's a point where Jesus has had enough and a judgment is coming. So let's go back to Noah. 
And Noah tells everybody, hey guys, there's this flood coming. You need to clean up your act. No, I don't want to hear that. A lot of people said, I don't want to hear that. Then there was this guy named Lot. And Lot was saying, hey, God's coming and he's going to rain fire and brimstone. You need to clean up your act. No, 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 we don't want to hear that. You're going to tell him. I got news for you. The judgment's coming whether you tell him or not. What happens if you don't tell him? God judges you and the people. What happens if you tell them and they disagree? God judges the people. The people get judged no matter what. So if you love them, you're going to tell them that this is the lifestyle that you're coming. I know, Brother Dolph, but that was Noah and that was Lot. That would never happen today in America. Really? Which one did you buy? Is God real? Is God right? Or does it really matter? Which one did you just buy into? It does matter. And God, I've said this a long time, God is long-suffering, but he's not forever suffering. So I got to tell. I was blessed today. Not, not today, um, Friday. Friday, I got a call. I had to write a letter to someone in prison. And it was a really hard letter. And I didn't want to write that letter. And I got permission from his father. Should I write this letter? I let him read the letter. Should I write it? He says, send it. And oh boy, so I mailed it. Well, I got word back on Friday. He received it well. Wow, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know how times that happens? About one out of 40. People don't want to hear that they're wrong. But you know what? It's your job to tell them. In love. In love. That's the difference. Destruction for a rebellious nation is coming, whether they receive a final warning or not. Now, now pay attention to this, okay? This is, this, y'all, this is really, really important. If God tells a preacher to warn a nation and that preacher does not warn them, who pays? You know, the answer is the preacher and the nation. Let's read Malachi 2.2. I'm going to start at verse 1. And I, and now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. Malachi is talking to the religious leaders. If you will not hear, and ye will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already because you do not lay it to heart. And behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung on your faces. Oh boy, that sounds like that's getting real, huh? And dung on your solemn feast, and one shall take you away. So he's talking to the leaders, and Malachi is talking to the leaders. He says, I'm telling you what y'all need to do. You need to clean up your act. If you don't clean up your act, there's judgment coming. Y'all, if I'm the one that's that out of straight, and that judgment's coming, I want someone to tell me. Is it going to hurt? Yeah, it's going to hurt. Am I going to like it? Not at first. But this is our duty. But how do you walk that line? How do you live in a country? You think, Brother Dolph, you're asking something too hard. I just, we already established that the culture we're living is a lot softer than what Jesus grew up in, and he did it. He had the Jewish elders over here. He had the Herodians over here. He had the Roman government over here. He was underneath three. We're basically underneath 
the culture that's one right now, we think we got it bad. He was dodging all three. It's amazing. Okay, let me ask you this question. If God tells a preacher to warn a nation and the king incarcerates the preacher, who pays? The answer is the king and the nation. That's exactly what happened to Jeremiah. Jeremiah came, God gave him a message. He says, if you don't clean up your act, I'm going to destroy you. He preached it and the king threw him in jail. Guess what? The country got destroyed. See, him getting thrown in jail did not stop God's judgment. Please, yeah, look at America. There's hope. There's always hope. We, we cannot endorse. We cannot sit passively by and let it go on. If God tells a preacher to warn a nation and the preacher warns them, but the nation does not heed, who pays? The nation. I want you to notice in all three scenarios, the nation pays. Because wrong and wrong and judgment is judgment, whether you tell them or not. If I have a, a son and, and he's driving recklessly, maybe he's got a motorcycle and he's driving 120 miles an hour, and I say, boy, you're going to get in a wreck. You're going to kill yourself or get paralyzed. Probably even worse than getting killed is paralyzed somehow. Do you think by my not telling him that's going to reduce the risk of his getting in that wreck? The answer is no. No, it's coming down. It's a natural consequence. Satan uses every tool in his toolbox to discourage those who preach against sin. Here's those things I wanted to show you. This is where I want to spend the rest of my time on these three questions. Is God real? Is he real? Of course he is. That's why I'm in church. Is God real? The question is, is do you believe God? Or do you believe in God? There's a difference there. We're dealing with the believe in God. Yeah, I'll admit that there's a God there. Let's look at pre-deliverance. This is the case of Noah. I want to read this to you. This is in Genesis 6, 6 5 through 7. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only con evil continually and repented the Lord that he had made man on earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air for it repented me that I have made them. Brother Dolph, I don't like these fire and brimstone sermons. Well, I don't like preaching these fire and brimstone sermons. We just preached four messages on what Jesus did for you because of that sin. But if you don't have a handle on the sin that you have committed and how offensive it is to God, you will not appreciate Jesus' finished work. You have no idea why he came. And, and the suffering that he had, this, this stuff that I'm talking about, Jesus paid for it. Praise the Lord. But why we're on earth, we want to say thank you, and we say thank you through our behavior. And as a nation that's been blessed by God in so many countless ways that we recognize and don't recognize, we want to thank him. We don't thumb our nose at him and say, well, Lord, I believe there's a Lord, but you got this marriage stuff wrong, and you got this gender stuff wrong, and you got this economic stuff wrong. 1 Corinthians 10, I want to show you another judgment that happened. This was during Moses' time. Do you remember when they came through the Red Sea and they were supposed to go in the promised land? Notice what happened in between. Notice what it says here. 
Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that our, all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. Listen, <clears throat> Paul is writing the New Testament church, and he says, you know what happened all back then? It's fixing to happen to you right now. I don't want you to be ignorant of their mistake. You know, it's really funny. Um, Deborah's got a, an uncle, aunt and uncle, and they've got four boys. And it's real funny, the youngest one is a young man named David, real impressive young man, when we were talking. And the other three got in all kinds of mischief and trouble. And we were sitting at a dinner table, this was years ago when we lived in North Carolina. And I said, what was the difference? And he says, I saw the knuckle-headed things my older brothers did. Okay. Well, that's what this verse is saying. You see all the knuckle-headed things Israel did, maybe we as America can learn. And we're all baptized into Moses, Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all did eat manna, eat the same spiritual meat, and all did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. He said, enough's enough. You are not going to go into the promised land. You're going to drop dead in the wilderness, and I'll let your children go in, but you're not going to receive this blessing. Paul, why did you write that ancient history that doesn't apply to us? Verse 11, now all these things happened unto them for our ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. I want you to learn from history. Is it Winston Churchill that said, he that don't learn from history is damned to repeat it or cursed to repeat it? Well, we want to learn from history. That's what this is for. Is God real? Yes, he's real. Let's go to June 7. Moses, or Paul's writing, he says, remember what happened to the people in the wilderness? Judah's writing and he says, remember what happened at Sodom and, Eden, Sodom and Gomorrah? He says, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh and set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal life. Y'all, what happened to them is an example for us. It could happen. We walk this way, we can expect their end. They want us to know that. Genesis 19. This is the lot. Notice this description here. 12 through 14. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou any besides? The angels came and said, The city's going to get destroyed. And they said, Lot, do you have any family here? Your son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters, and whosoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-laws, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get out of this space, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Poor Lot. No, he told them. He told them. I want to see what would happen to Lot if he didn't tell them. The judgment would still be there. You got that? So I wrote that letter. Should I write this letter or should I not write this letter? I need to write it. Because you know what happened is the foolishness is a behavior. He's going to suffer the consequences. I better tell him. I better at least warn him. So I have to. This is Joshua 22, verse 17. Let me, let me kind of 
give the story of Joshua 22. What happened was is Israel went into the promised land. They went over the Jordan. They subdued the country of the promised land of Canaan, and it took them about seven years. And after they were there for about seven years, what was as ham is, is they, they, they divvied up all the property. And there was two and a half tribes that said, we don't, we don't want to be on this side of Jordan. We want to be on the other side of Jordan because the pasture land there is just really, really nice. So what happened was, is these two and a half tribes, after being with God and God's people for seven years, saw all the miracles. And during that time, there was these heaps of stones all over. They were monuments. There was monuments when they went through the Jordan River. There were monuments when they got Ea. There were monuments when they got uh, kings, when they conquered people, when there was judgments. There was all kinds of monuments. So they went back home on the other side of Jordan to their two and a half tribes, to their children and their children's children, and they didn't have any monuments. So the first thing they did when they got on the other side of Jordan, they built a monument. And the ten and a half tribes on this side are looking at the two and a half tribes on this side, and they said, please don't build an altar. God will destroy us. Now notice what they say. Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us, from which we were not cleansed until this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? What the ten and a half tribes are doing is they're doing some reasoning with the two and a half tribes and said, listen, this happened before. There was a people that committed this kind of adultery before and the whole nation suffered. And we're the ten and a half tribes, you're the two and a half tribes, you're going to sin, but we're afraid we're all going to get condemned. Please stop it. They're going back to an example. Let's go read it. The real account of Peor happened in Numbers 25, 1 through 5. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with all the daughters of Moab, and they called the people of the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and borrowed, bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself to Baal Peor, that's the city that was referenced in Joshua 22. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people, and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one of his men that were joined unto Bel Peor. I kind of like the picture of God where he's a, a soft grandpa, and he can be. But not only is God a love, he's a God of justice, he's a God of righteousness, he's a God of holiness. And there's some things he cannot look upon. And there are consequences to that behavior. So when I look at Jesus Christ and I see him going to places, he will tell people, y'all, you got to clean up your act. Because if you don't, consequences are coming. It's just a natural consequence. It can't go on forever. We've got to love people enough to say, this behavior is intolerable to God. He will, you will not be blessed. And matter of fact, there's a come a day where he's going to walk away. That is the climate Jesus was in. He had to balance Herodians, Romans, and Pharisees. And he was constantly being judged by all three of them. How did he do it? He was God. And he could. Now I get in the flesh. So I go back to the verse, we need to walk in the flesh but war in the spirit. I can't do it of myself. 
the Lord's got to be there. He's got to, when we've got gifts and we've got weapons that aren't carnal, we've got weapons that are spiritual, we've got to use those weapons. But at the same time, I'm looking myself in the mirror and I realize that if I don't do it, these people are going to get judged. And if I do tell them, they might get mad at me. But if I don't tell them, God will judge me and them. Jesus did it because he loved them. We looked at the political climate when Jesus was born. We looked at the political climate when Jesus ministered. There's coming up a Sunday pretty quick when I want to look at the political climate when Jesus was killed, crucified. And then maybe we'll look at the political climate when the New Testament church was starting to scatter. And that's a pretty interesting situation too, which is more closely where we live right now. I hope this was profitable but we really have to get an understanding of what God thinks of sin. I pray the Lord will bless us to understand this. And uh, I pray God will give us the grace and the right words and the wisdom to share it, when to share it, how to share it, and with what kind of firmness. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.